Our Unitarian siblings in Hungary and Romania have a motto, and the motto is, be as wise as serpents and gentle as doves. This phrase comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10, verse 16, where Jesus instructs his disciples as to how they should act when they spread his message of radical inclusion. The disciples knew that they were headed out into hostile territory. Neither powerful Jews in Palestine nor the influential Greeks of what is now Turkey were particularly interested in a message that downplayed the comforts and prestige of the material world in favor of humility and compassion. It was a tough sell. The wealthy were not interested in hearing about the poor. Those with houses and land and livestock were not interested in hearing about those without. Jesus was sending the disciples out into hostile territory with a message of love. They would need to be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. In the crest of the Hungarian Unitarian Church, we can see the Bible verse depicted as a white dove surrounded by a serpent. Not in flight, the dove has its feet securely on the ground, and the serpent has its tail in its mouth, symbolizing endlessness. And like the disciples of old, our Hungarian Unitarian siblings have had many opportunities to be both wise and gentle, often simply to survive. Always a minority sect of Christianity with a theology open to Reformation, the Hungarian Unitarian Church has known hardship and persecution since its founding. It has also known a joyous, loving, loyal following, generation after generation after generation. And its motto helps encourage this. Transylvania is a crossroads between the Middle East, Eastern Europe, and Western Europe. Its rolling forested hills have always known the sounds of people moving from one place to another. Caught up in the Ottoman Empire for a century, our Unitarian churches needed to be both wise and gentle in managing with Muslim rule. Later, when Christianity retook the area, Transylvania found itself passed back and forth between Hungary and Romania. In both countries, 20th century communism gravely harmed the Unitarian Church, among others, for more than 40 years. And recently, the exodus of young people to larger cities and the rest of Europe forces Hungarian Unitarians to rely on their motto again, our own partnership with Seke Carister is a good example of that congregation being wise in maintaining relationships while being gentle with us narcissistic Americans. The dove there still has its feet squarely on the ground in Carister. And what about us? Where are our feet when are we wise? When are we gentle? And do we realize we must be both, especially in these days? 
We've all just endured a couple of searing weeks in American politics, and there's a few searing weeks to go, at least. We see totalitarianism rise before our eyes. We see white male patriarchy rear up and lash out. We see working people riled up by the thought that their white privilege might be taken away. We see a misogynist bully in the White House act like an emperor. We hear lies and deception and threats. We watch the stock market spasm. We feel ourselves further and further from that mysterious other half of our country. We watch a hurricane blow through it all, reminding us that it is the planet that is ultimately in charge. We brace ourselves for the next awful thing. We hunker down, we wait, we watch, we fear. And this is not good for us. It is not good for any of us. But there is another way. And that's the thing that religion tells us over and over again. There's always another way. It will do no good to fight fire with fire. I promise you that only gentleness will serve us. Only by choosing gentleness will we survive this. We tend to think of gentleness as weak or a fragile thing, writes Craig Barnes, who's the president of Princeton Theological Seminary. But as a virtue, it arises from strength, from strong people who choose to honor the sacredness of their relationships. The gentle don't find their strength in the ways society has privileged them, nor in the success of their pursuits on the many fields of competition. When we take seriously the holiness in our lives, he says, lives redeemed from everything we've done to profane that holiness, we've made strong, we are made strong in the grace of God. And those who have attended to the grace they have received tend to want to be gracious to others in turn. The Jewish theologian Abraham Heschel claimed that when God's creatures came together, a holy space is created between them. And if they relieve their relationships, they also leave behind that holy space. This strikes me as a radical way of seeing human interchange, a way that has Buddhist and Taoist and Native American tones to it as well. It is only in coming together that holiness is created. And when people retreat from one another, holiness diminishes. And Heschel is careful not to let us think holiness results only from meeting our friends. It happens when all creatures come together. It is this coming together, often across difference, that threatens the powers that be in our world. The politics of tribalism seeks to keep us separate no matter what. Fear thrives on disconnection. Oligarchs encourage combativeness rather than gentleness. But if humans can come together, the holy will appear. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I have an odd fascination with the president's campaign-style rallies. Anybody else have an odd fascination with the president's campaign-style rallies? All right, squirm a little bit in your seats. This is going to get real. I oddly feel compelled to watch them, and I don't know why exactly. I know that it's not because I'm going to change my mind and suddenly agree with him, but it's because that in every arena that he speaks to, what I see there are my people. He is speaking to my people As the camera follows the puffed-up, wildly gesticulating man strutting on stage, straying from the teleprompter whenever he wants, I watch the people behind him. I watch the faces of the select few who have been chosen as the president's backdrop. I know they were chosen for very particular reasons, like being black or being female or being young, I know that the rest of the crowd doesn't necessarily look like the backdrop, but it's the drop backdrop that they want the country to see. And I've noticed that occasionally the people on stage get replaced if they are not enthusiastic enough. Have you seen that? Just watch. A handler will come and just very nicely, very quietly say, no, you just come with me, and then all of a sudden somebody else is in that person's place. And I'm fascinated by this, because as I watch those faces, I see my own parents up there. I see my brothers and my sister up there. I see my young adult nieces and nephews up there. I see people from my hometown up there. I see members of my parents' church up there. When I watch the president speak on comfortable turf, I know the terrible pain and longing lodged in the hearts of everyone who is there to hear him. This terrible pain and longing are masked by bravado. They are masked by indignation. They are masked by religious certainty. They are masked by self-righteousness. They are masked by anger. But the terrible pain and longing are there. They are there for all of America to see. Watch next time. See if you can see the pain. See if you can see the longing. For the people who flock to hear our president have been betrayed so many times they have forgotten to call it betrayal. They have been manipulated so many times that they think that they are the powerful ones. They have been assaulted so many times that they think the only thing left to do is to fight back. My own family is on stage with the president. My own parents, who live on $600 a piece per month, stand 
behind this man. My brother, who is raising four children in poverty, stands there hearing the words that he longs to hear. The president says to him that he matters. And when you have been beaten down for so long, that is all that is needed. Forget actions. If the president tells you that you matter, then better days must be ahead. I promise you, my parents and my brother will vote on election day, and it won't be for the Democrat. Craig Barnes continues his essay saying, In these days of intense factionalism and demonizing partisanship, few of us are aspiring to gentleness. He continues saying, I think that's mostly because we're afraid. We're afraid because instead of thinking about the holy between us, we think about the them who are to blame for our problems. The last thing we want to be is gentle in dealing with them. I say, forget about the president. Forget about the Speaker of the House. Forget about the Senate Majority Leader. Forget about the Supreme Court. What about the people on the stage behind the president? What about the people who could not afford to evacuate as Hurricane Michael roared toward land? What about the farmers caught in a trade war with China that they surely did not start? What about the minimum wage earner working two or three jobs? What about the senior citizen trying to survive on Social Security? What about my brother? Aren't these the people who should count? regardless of political affiliation? Aren't these the people Jesus would want us to see? My challenge to you today and to myself is to choose gentleness. It is to back away from a fight. It is to give up needing to be right. It is to soften yourself so that you might see someone else. We all already know who we're going to vote for on election day, right? This is not a mystery. The races are important, yes. Voter turnout is important, yes. And I wonder if we can be more gentle with everyone in the next three weeks. What if the upcoming election was more like a friendly exhibition match between two teams, two teams who know that the game is more important than winning? What if we were all citizens of the world before being Republican or Democrat? How might we change if we were truly gentle with one another? The most heartening thing I saw on the news in the last few days was how both the Democratic and Republican candidates for the governor of Florida briefly suspended their campaigns in the wake of Hurricane Michael as news anchors tried to press them into saying when they would begin to fight for votes again, both men, one black and one white, calmly said that now was not the time for campaigning. The state they both love 
had been hit by a severe storm. People had died. Others had lost everything. The cleanup and rebuilding would go on well past election day. But at least for a day or two, common humanity prevailed. As the news cycle shifted, I'm sure the vicious campaign is on again, attack ads from both sides. But for a moment, for just a moment, gentleness prevailed. For a moment, people mattered more than politics. For a moment, Floridians were one. If Abraham Heschel is right, we will have to insist that humans come together so that the holy might appear. We must guard against retreat from relationships so that the holy must not leave us. We are to be loving and open. And in all things, we must be wise as serpents and as gentle as doves. So be it. Amen.